You know, the subject of wealth and money has always been a subject that people have been fascinated with and talked about for ever since humanity began. It's always been a subject of interest. It's always been a subject that people have expressed opinions about. And uh, because it's a subject that often talked about, it's not surprising that really almost just about everybody has an opinion about the subject of wealth and money and wealth and riches and, and so forth. Uh, people have all kinds of attitudes about money. In fact, I heard about the guy who expressed his view about wealth this way. He said, wealth is the ability to make enough money to meet your financial obligations that you would not have incurred if you had not made so much money. And when another guy was asked, you know, what does wealth mean to him? Here's what he said. He said, incredible wealth is an income that is at least $5,000 a year more than your wife's sister's husband make. (laughs) Regardless of one's wealth or lack of it, people talk about it. People have views about it. People have attitudes about it. People made up their minds about it one way or the other. And during the time of Jesus, when he walked this earth, it was no exception. People were debating and discussing wealth, money, riches, just as they do today. In fact, more so. People were asking the questions, is money, is is it good, is it bad, is it neutral? How can it relate to eternal life, etc.? And Jesus got drawn into that discussion. Actually, I dare say, probably several times. But at least we have some of them recorded in the Scripture. And as we go through the series of messages, what did Jesus mean by saying this? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 23. I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Father, without spiritual eyes and without the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, we can misunderstand those words. And so I ask you in the name of Jesus to open my mouth and open our ears so that, Father, we walk out of here challenged afresh, renewed afresh, ready to serve you with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, throughout my preaching, what do we always do with the text? I always put the text in context. Every time you hear me preach, whatever text I use, you have to put it in context. I can tell you through history, there are many heresies and many cults that have really sprung up through the years because somebody took a passage out of context and built a doctrine around it, built a cult around it. So always put the passage in its what? God bless you. Now, This statement that was made by Jesus about camel going into eye of a needle came right at the heels of Jesus' encounter with probably Israel's most eligible bachelor. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but you can guess at it. He said he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. 
I mean, you can get a three combination that is all encompassed in one man. He was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he comes and asks Jesus a question. Go up a few verses, verse 16 of Matthew 19. That's the beginning of that encounter. And there Jesus is talking to him, and he comes to Jesus first and asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this moral, religious, rich young man was obviously restless on the inside. He was obviously empty on the inside. He was obviously not at peace internally. And so he comes to Jesus with this question. With all of his religious activities, he did not have assurance of forgiveness. With all of his rituals in the synagogue, as a ruler of the synagogue, he did not have the assurance of heaven. With all of his wealth and with all of his money, he was restless, he was discontented, and he had no peace. So he comes to Jesus and asks, what can I do to inherit eternal life? You see, everybody wants to know how to get to heaven. Hollywood, of course, dishes to us this lie that everybody, when they die, they go into an eternal bliss. And they have all these people coming on television, contacting the dead, and said, oh, they are in a wonderful place. They never tell you (laughs) about the others. Never tell you the truth, really. That's what it is. They're lying. They're lying through their teeth. Because some people want eternity without God. Can imagine if somebody who hates God doesn't want to be around God, doesn't want to obey God or obey His Word, they want to be in heaven with God. <laughs> Can you imagine what a miserable experience they're going to have? That's why they're not. They are not going to be there because only those who love God and come to God God's way are going to be in heaven. In fact, when I was thinking about how people have searched for eternal life Often the wrong way, going about it the wrong way. And I was thinking about how so many people, even in our culture today, they want to live forever in this life. And I thought of this Greek mythology that uh, is about the goddess of dawn, Aurora. The mythology says that Aurora fell in love with a mortal by the name Tithonos. And then Zeus comes to Aurora and says... What can I do for your mortal lover? And Dawn, supposedly, the god of Dawn, the Aurora asked and said, I want him to live forever. And Zeus supposedly granted her the wish. (laughs) But Aurora forgot to ask that Tithonos remain forever young. So, he continued to grow old and decrepit. Instead of being blessed, he was cursed with perpetual degeneration. But you see, the Bible makes it clear that eternal life is only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. So when this rich young man, this young ruler of the synagogue, asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And by the way, the overriding emphasis in this question, by the way, The overriding thought behind that question is, what can I, I, I do to get to heaven? In other words, how much is it going to cost me? Tell me, can I afford the price? Is there some religious ritual that I need to go through? 
Is there some secret formula that I need to acquire? Is there some obligation that I need to fulfill? Jesus, give it to me and give it to me quick. (laughs) But you know, we human beings love formulas. We just love formulas. Some clever entrepreneur who says, come to a seminar and pay a thousand dollars and I'm going to tell you how to get rich quick. And thousands of people sign up. And the only one who gets rich is the seminar guy. Some good marketer comes in, you know, pay a hundred dollars for a seminar and tell you the secret of a happy marriage. Thousands of people sign up. We are looking for the quick fix, are we not? And that's sad. That's really sad. And I'm telling you one thing, I'm not doing a quick fix with this message because I'm going to deal with issues that you have never thought about before. I'm going to deal with the very heart and the context of this message that you have never thought about before because it comes from the very heart of the Word of God. Before Jesus answered this young man, he basically, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me. If you do not think that Jesus had a sense of humor when he was in his earthly flesh, well, you don't read the gospel the same way I read it. <laughs> I just see funny things all over the place. Incredible sense of humor that Jesus had in the way he dealt with this man, particularly. Jesus said, you want to make it to heaven? Okay. Go and keep all the commandments perfectly. Oh, come on, Lord. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, you know, the guy didn't get the sense of humor. He didn't either. <laughs> Lord, you know, nobody can keep the commandments perfectly except you, the Son of God, the eternal divine Son of God. Nobody can keep the, all the commandments perfectly all the time except you. What do you mean this guy needs to keep? But that's true, actually. But he didn't see the humor in it. You know what the guy said? Well, you know, I said, Lord Jesus, you know what? I'm, I've kept all this since I was a little boy. These commandments, I memorized them, I kept them. Um, it's like, I, you know, when I witness to people sometimes and they say, I'm going to heaven, why? Because I kept all the commandments. I said, man, you're doing better than I am. <laughs> Shocks them. But listen, <laughs> this religious rich guy doesn't get the sense of humor. And so he said, you know, since I was a little boy, I kept the commandments. Now, I want you to use your imagination, okay? Sanctified imagination. I'm not going to violate the scripture, but I want you to just use this imagination of having a dialogue. Jesus is dialoguing with this young, rich young ruler. And Jesus says, huh, you kept all the commandments, did you? Since you were a little boy. Yes, sir, I kept them all. Okay, well, let's see. Do you remember the first one? Yeah. Thou shalt have no other God but me? Yeah. Well, go and sell all that you have and then follow me. Oh, don't go there, Jesus. Don't go there. Why? Is money your God? Well, I don't know about that. Well, let's go to the 10th commandment. I won't embarrass you. Let's go to the 10th. Do you possess your possessions or your possessions possessing you? Oh, I don't know. I give a few dollars to the needy every now and again. I, I, you know, I don't do too bad. Uh, you know, I'm as good as anybody when it comes to that. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, just give it all to the poor, come and trust me, then I'll provide for you. Oh, no, 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 don't do that to me now. Don't do that to me. You see, this man did not keep the commandments as he thought he did. And so, he went away sad. He went away sad. Why? Because his wealth 
was his God. Because he was covetous. And he was a lying dude. Now, where's the problem here? Where's the problem with this religious, church-going, rich, nice guy? I'm sure he was nice. You see, when it comes to the trusting department, he was not trusting in the provision of the God of heaven, but he was trusting in his net worth. When it comes to faith, his faith was in the bird in the hand than in the hundred in the tree. And I am not going to let that go. That's the bottom line. And that, of course, prompted Jesus to make the statement, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye than for a rich person to make it to heaven. Which confused people through generations. And that's why I want you to listen to me very carefully. Let me tell you something. Here's my struggle for hours this past week. I'm going to take something that is so difficult, that's been misunderstood, and I'm going to simplify it so that you not only be blessed and be challenged, but you'll never misunderstand this passage again. What does Jesus mean by saying it's easier for a camel to go through a eye of a needle than for a rich person to make it to heaven? Here again, Jesus' sense of humor. <laughs> Just think about it. <laughs> I mean, if he says it's very difficult for a donkey, it's very difficult for a goat, it's very difficult. Now he said, camel, you know, camel is the biggest animal was the biggest animal in Palestine at that time, time of Jesus. They didn't have elephants in the Middle East. So the camel was it. The biggest thing you've ever seen. Eye of a needle. By the way, not like the needle you saw with it, ladies. But it's a bone, about 6 to 12 inches. And the hole will be that big, the varieties of it, where they sewed with it. The smallest space, the biggest animal. Doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be funny. That's okay. They didn't laugh either. Before I tell you what Jesus meant by those words, I want to tell you about four false sense of securities that wealth creates. Number one, wealth creates a false sense of security. Secondly, wealth creates a false sense of self-sufficiency. Thirdly, wealth creates a false sense of attachment to this world. And finally, wealth creates a false sense of of God's favor. Now, wealth can create a false sense of security. You see, because wealth can provide for the wealthiest physical needs, they are more inclined to rely on their money than on God. The Laodicean church in the book of Revelation said, I am rich, I have been wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And Jesus said to them, when it comes to your spiritual life, you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. Secondly, wealth creates false sense of self-sufficiency. Wealth says, I need nobody in my life. Wealth said, I can buy anyone that I want in my life. Wealth thinks that you do not need the divine resources, that do not need the divine provisions. And it provides them with a false sense of self-sufficiency. And that is why the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle, is writing to the pastor in the church of Ephesus by the name of Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, listen to what he said. He said, command 
Those who are rich in this present world. He did not tell the pastor to beg. He did not tell the pastor to plead. He did not tell the pastor to start there and make an appeal. Absolutely not. He said, command those rich of this world's present world. Not to be arrogant. Not to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The third, wealth creates a false sense of attachment to this world. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, where a person's treasure is, that's where you're going to find his heart. And as long as their treasure is tied up to this world, they naturally cannot treasure the things of God. And the fourth thing is, wealth creates a false sense of God's favor. Now, that's different from a steward who's been blessed of God, who has been faithful, giving, and God replenishes, and he or she gives, and God replenishes, because God wants to see his work progresses. He wants to see his glory revealed. That's different. That's different. In fact, in 1995, October 95, Harper Magazine has stated that 70% of Americans think that their financial status is at least somewhat indicative of God's regard of them. So what Jesus finally meant by saying it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to the kingdom of God. I had to explain those four things from the scripture to you before I get to the meaning. Because of these four things that I just mentioned from the word of God, they create barriers for entering into the kingdom of God. Now, here's something that you must never, 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 never forget. Remember, all of Jesus' hearers were all Jewish. Jewish people in the time of Jesus had many false belief systems. Not in the Old Testament, not in the Word of God, but written in the traditions by the rabbi. And I'm going to show you a big one. This is one of them here. They had a false concept of wealth. Some of these ideas were written down by the rabbis, and later on, they almost became bounding almost as much as the law of God was bounding. For many centuries, they just kept believing them and teaching them until they become equal to the Word of God. And here's what the rabbis have written. Listen carefully. They said, the accumulation of wealth is a virtue. And only a sinner would give away more than fifth of what he owns. Now, you have to understand this historical context in order to understand the teaching of Jesus. You understand what Jesus is talking about here. Even the disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus, they were puzzled by what Jesus said. And they said, Jesus, if that's the case, who's going to be saved? By the way, the puzzlement of the disciples, the question of the disciples, is the key to the whole section there. That's the key. You say, why are they puzzled? (laughs) Why were they shocked? Because, again, the rabbis have actually perpetuated false belief systems. They've written down opinions that turned into laws. And these opinions were mostly designed to protect selfishness. They were designed to protect greed. 
And among these false teachings that the rabbis were teaching is this, that one can buy his salvation. Where do you think the medieval church got the idea of selling the indulgence? When they ran out of money building St. Peter's, they came up with this idea of selling the indulgence. And the more you pay, the better place your loved ones who have died will get in paradise. Where do you think they got? They got the ideas from the rabbis that were written thousands of years ago. Very clever. And that's what they were teaching. And therefore, what Jesus is telling them is contrary to everything they've been told about wealth and money by the rabbis. <laughs> he was telling them it's contrary to the tradition of the rabbis. But there's more. The rabbis thought that the larger contribution you make to the temple or the synagogue, the better seat you get in the temple or the synagogue. And therefore, it naturally follows if you give more, you get a better seat in the temple, that means you're going to get a better seat in heaven. Now you understand why the disciples were puzzled. They were saying, now wait a minute, Jesus. If the rich who give so much money get the good seats in the temple and the synagogue and they're going to make it to heaven, the poor haven't got a chance. <laughs> Who's going to be saved? Who can be saved under these circumstances, under what you're saying, Lord Jesus? Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They heard the stuff taught by the rabbis in synagogues. And they practiced it, you know, and so-and-so would get the best seat because he gave the largest contribution, and on and on and on. And they said, if these guys who are given the big bucks and are going to make it to heaven, who's going to be saved? <laughs> the poor don't have a chance. And Jesus says, guys, 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 you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. This is false teaching. This is false practice. Because you have forgotten the Word of God itself, and you focused on the tradition and the teaching of the rabbis, you have forgotten that something that is so important, and you should never forget it, it is impossible for anyone to come to God in their own terms. Jesus is saying it's impossible for anyone to come to God depending on their efforts. It is impossible for anyone to come to God relying on their riches or their contribution. It is impossible for anyone to buy their way to heaven. It is impossible for anyone to enter into heaven based on their own accomplishment. No matter how rich they may be, no matter how high and mighty they may be, no matter how powerful they may be, they are totally powerless and helpless when it comes to their salvation. When it comes to salvation, the work of a person, the effort of a person, the wealth of a person, the accomplishment of a person will not bring salvation. I wanted to hear me right in this one. In fact, because they, of their wealth often clouds their vision of God, salvation to them is going to be difficult. That's what Jesus is talking about. But that's not all. Because the next key is, when they said, you know, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man... Some things are impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. What does Jesus mean by this? What does Jesus mean by this? Here's what he means. 
He's saying that only God can change a sinful heart, whether it be rich or poor. Only God, in His mercy, can convert a soul, whether it's rich or poor. Only God's authority can declare a person saved, whether he's rich or poor. Only God's grace can change a person's destiny from eternal torment to eternal bliss. You see, salvation is entirely, entirely the work of the sovereign God. You see, here's what some people have misunderstood this passage through the years. There are some people who said that Jesus was the first communist. He is the one, the first to declare the redistribution of wealth. You see, they miss the point. They miss the point. Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had to have been far wealthier than this guy because he accumulated more in his capacity as a member of the Sanhedrin. But you know, Jesus never said a word to him about wealth. Why? I mean, isn't that natural? If this is what Jesus is telling everybody, give everything away and, and, and follow him, isn't that natural to say, why didn't he bring it up to Nicodemus? But you see, I want to tell you, this was not Nicodemus's problem. Wealth was not his God. Do you know what his problem was? His problem was pride. Pride. Humility was not in abundance in Nicodemus's life. You know how I know that? He came to Jesus by night. <laughs> he did not want to be identified with this radical rabbi. He was embarrassed. He is too important in society to be seen with Jesus. So he comes to him at night when nobody's watching. And Jesus, with his pure, divine eyes, sees straight through this heart. And he says, you have a problem with pride. You must be born again. He didn't say, go and sell all you have and follow me. No, no, no. Why? Because Nicodemus's problem was not money. Money was not his God. Pride was. And Jesus had to deal with that. Now, beloved friends, I want to tell you something. When a rich person comes to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith, that person goes to heaven the same way that a person who does not have two pennies to rub together go to heaven. Same way. Same way. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the core of what Jesus is saying. If you missed it, you missed the whole thing. Whether you are rich or poor, you can only come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. And that's what he's saying about with God, everything is possible. Since he's the one who's going to get you to heaven, not what you have, not what you've done, not what you gave. And that's what Jesus is saying here with God. Everything is possible. You know, I hope I can say this with, with controlled emotions because I've had the joy of seeing men and women of wealth, when they come to Jesus Christ, they consecrate their wealth to the glory of God. I have seen it too many times to doubt it. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about. Their wealth did not get them their salvation. But salvation got them to consecrate their wealth for the glory of Jesus. There's one thing 
before I conclude, that you must not miss, because any of you who read commentaries, you're probably saying, you know, I read a book by Dr. Smilfungus some years ago, and you know, he said that there was a gate in Israel, and it was a, a small gate, and it's called the eye of a needle, and it was so narrow that the camel has to get on his knees and be unloaded of all that he's carrying and then crawl his way through that gate. Meaning that you have to give up everything before you get into heaven. (laughs) It's fantasy. Do you know why it's fantasy? There is not a shred of historical or archaeological evidence there was such a gate. And instead of going through this rigmarole, they just walk around the gate. I mean, they walk around the wall and get to where they're going. When Jesus talked about an eye of a needle, he was talking about a needle. (laughs) And he was talking about a camel. That's why it's so funny. (laughs) You see, on the surface, on the surface, and that's why I tell you over and over, and I know some of you probably get sick of me saying, Put the text in context. Because these people, the group of socialists in England many years ago, took this to declare socialism and that Jesus was the first socialist. <laughs> I mean, and you just read history and you'll understand what I'm trying to tell you. But expounding the truth of the Word of God accurately. See, on the surface, you read this text and it appears to be saying that the rich have no hope for salvation. Hogwash. That's not what Jesus is saying. It could not be further from the truth. It has nothing to do with what you have. It's absolutely false understanding of what Jesus is saying. Jesus was not singling out the rich as being inherently far from the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. Far from it. He is saying that when it comes to salvation... By faith alone. Money gives a person no added advantage to their salvation whatsoever. He is saying that when it comes to salvation by grace alone, wealth does not give you a leg up. I have seen with those eyes, as I traveled the globe, people may not have much of what we call wealth, and yet... They had other idols in their lives. All kinds of idols that is keeping them from coming to Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of forgiveness and the gift of grace. I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. While others who have been blessed of God financially, when they came to Christ in humility, they said, Lord... Everything I have, I give to you. I've seen it. I've seen believers who work hard, work diligently, and think creatively of how to give away of my resources for the glory of Jesus. Beloved, the question is this. Is there something in your life that is keeping you from coming to Christ and receiving eternal life? Free gift of God. Forgiveness. What is it? You see, it doesn't have to be wealth. It could be pride. Yes, 
It could be a relationship that's unwholesome. It could be a lifestyle that is not glorifying to God. Whatever it may be, only you and God know what that idol that is keeping you from eternal life is. And the ultimate question that I pray that will ring in your ears, will ring in your mind for the days to come, are you willing to give it up? Or are you going to keep allowing it to hinder you from inheriting eternal life? Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.